0: Well, our scripture passage today comes from John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, this man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own his sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Let us uh, begin our time in God's word with a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, that it reveals to us who you are. Lord, help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see Christ, that we might be changed by your spirit. We pray that you would illuminate it in our hearts, that it may have its full work in us in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we are continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of John, and here we are at John chapter 10. In some ways, I was tempted to break this section into two so that we could talk about the resurrection, Jesus laying down his life and having the authority to take it up again next Sunday as is the practice of many churches uh, on Resurrection Sunday. But to keep our pace going, I didn't want to be distracted by things uh, that may derail us. And so we, we will continue to go through uh, at our own pace and, uh, and have that consistent flow uh, as we look at God's Word. If you remember where we are last week, uh, we, we went through John chapter 9. We kind of finished this scene where Jesus had healed a blind man. And it was on the Sabbath day, and that upset uh, the religious leaders. Specifically, John identifies the Pharisees. And uh, that man who was healed was eventually questioned. Uh, and then they questioned his parents. And then they questioned him again. And uh, through these interactions, this man uh, appeared to believe in Jesus, that he was sent from God. At least in some way, he, he was not convinced that the religious leaders should be upset with him. Instead, he was beginning to defend this work of Jesus. And so they cast him out of the temple. They, you know, exiled him away from the presence of God. If you're going to belong to Christ, you can't belong in the temple. And so he was cast out. Jesus goes and he finds the man. He reveals himself to him, says that he is the son of man. And the healed man confesses, Lord, I believe, and he worships Christ. The main theme in that chapter was Jesus being the light of the world and the imagery of blindness. This blind man being able to see now was not only just a miracle that happened in this man's life, but it was a a type and shadow of something that was true far greater than just one person, but of all people. That those who are in need, who cannot see, who are called by Christ, he will give them that ability He heals the blindness of his people, and for those who have no need, who say, I can see already, well, the words of Christ just cause them to be further blinded to who he is and what he has come to accomplish. And this scene kind of bleeds into our passage. We see that at the end of our passage today. uh, Whoever these people are that he's talking to here, who are divided about who he is and And what he is saying, they still have in mind this miracle that he has opened the eyes of the blind. But as we come to this passage, it is one of the places that we find these great I am statements that you might be familiar with. This one, we find two of them actually I am the good shepherd. In fact, that's such a commonly known understanding of who Jesus is that there are many churches called Good Shepherd, you know, Lutheran Church, Good Shepherd, Presbyterian Church, Church of the Good Shepherd. And there's another one as Jesus gets through uh, his dialogue here where he says he's the door. And these I am statements are emphatic ways in which Jesus is revealing uh, the the character's about who he truly is and and how we ought to view him. How he is different from the shepherds of the day in which he lived. The other doors and ways to get places. He uses these images to help us more fully grasp who he is and what he has come to do and how we ought to relate to him. This passage can be a little bit confusing because Jesus actually has two or three different little uh, explanations here, and there's a lot of shared imagery, uh, but they don't all line up perfectly. So Jesus starts with this scene, uh, and he talks about the shepherd and the sheep, and the thief and the robber, and the disciples don't get it, and then he goes on to talk about himself being the door, and then he goes on to talk about himself being the shepherd, And so there is overlap in the imagery here, but it is not all one continuous teaching. And so sometimes we can get a bit confused as to who the characters are, who they're pointing to, why Jesus is all of a sudden a door instead of a shepherd, and how this all makes sense. So we want to take it one step at a time. And we're going to do that kind of in three chunks But our big main overarching idea here is that I am statement, that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the only true shepherd of God's people. And as this imagery of shepherds leading their flocks, caring for their flocks, it ought to stir in us an understanding that so often we, as sheep, are prone to follow other things, to, to not respond to the voice of the shepherd. But as we look at this passage, I really have three questions for us that will break up our three sections together. And the first is this, how do we know who are the sheep? I think that's what Jesus is really getting at in this first section. The second is this, how, how do the sheep enter? How do they get in? And uh, number three, how is this made possible? So first, how do we know that we are sheep? How do we know who the sheep are? We begin in verse 1 through verse 6. It's this first uh, section that Jesus is explaining to his disciples. He says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brought them all out, uh, and when he brought out all his own" He goes before them, and the sheep follow him. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. All of these verses we're going to look at are are very similar to the parables that we went through this past summer, and that is that there's characters in the story, and they reveal to us something about the kingdom of God. And of course, Jesus makes it pretty clear, uh, especially as we get into it, who he is in the story and, and who the other people are. So we have these three characters. We have the thief and robber. It's kind of one character combined together. And I think it's pretty clear from the context here that this is the religious order of the day, the Pharisees who've rejected this blind man who's been healed, the ones who are claiming to be the shepherds of God's people, they've entered through the wrong way. And Jesus, of course, is the shepherd, and uh, God's people are the sheep. We are the sheep. Now, a little bit of imagery here from the first century might be helpful for us, since we aren't Uh, shepherds of sheep. At least, I don't think anybody in our church is doing that kind of work right now. Uh, But at this time, it would have been common for uh, uh, a shepherd to keep his sheep in a walled-in area that had really one entrance to it. And so that would protect the sheep uh, when he would take them from the pasture at night and put them into a safe place. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, you could see this as a cave or something like that, where there's really just one entrance that he can keep them safe. And so if you were to uh, climb over the top of that, of course, that would be what a, a robber would have to do. But ultimately, that door was the only way in and out. And so Jesus is talking about the need to come in through the door, the proper way in which you become a shepherd, to interact with the sheep, And then the only person that can come and open that door, the only person that's allowed to come and to shepherd the sheep is the shepherd himself. We're told in verse 3 that the gatekeeper opens to him. So there's somebody there, maybe a hired servant is, is the one who's watching over the door while the shepherd goes and eats dinner or goes to bed for the night. And he comes back and the gatekeeper, of course, recognizes the shepherd and he opens the door for him. Jesus is the shepherd who comes to the gatekeeper to get the sheep. He's not hindered by anybody. He doesn't have to climb a wall to find the sheep. And so how do we know who the sheep are? Right. That was the question I wanted us to think about. That's the main character I think that's being highlighted here for us. Well, he tells us a lot about how the sheep interact with the shepherd. So the sheep, when they hear the voice of the shepherd, they respond. Okay, so they didn't have sheep dogs necessarily at this time. Instead, there was a very uh, vocal way in which a shepherd would lead his pasture. He would bring his flock out, and he would use different calls, vocal calls, uh, to call his sheep they they understood the call he was trained like you might train a dog with a dog whistle one whistle means come two whistles means sit three whistles means go to your crate those were the type of things that a shepherd would have been doing in order to manage his flocks and so when Jesus comes as the shepherd and calls to his sheep they've been trained to hear his voice now, remember last time we talked about the imagery of blindness relating to a spiritual condition and the, a very similar uh, condition that was always, almost always tied to the idea of blindness in the Old Testament as it talks about the, the, the blindness of people, of Israel not understanding what God was doing, is this idea of being deaf blind and deaf, not able to hear the word of the Lord. And so the sheep are those who hear Jesus' voice. Not only does he just call out to his sheep, it says that he calls out to them by name. As we think about this interaction, as we think about Jesus calling out to people, as we think about the word of the Lord being presented to us, as we hear it preached, as we read it, as, as we, you know, listen to whatever things are presented to us, the, the proclamation of God's word. God's sheep hear the voice of Jesus and not just in a generic way. Right? There is this generic sense in which, well, this might be recorded and, and anybody can listen to it. And, and these are the, the self-evident truths of the Christian faith, and this is the historic truth about what Jesus said. Instead, Jesus calls people by name, personally. And that is the response of one of God's sheep. That when we hear his voice, first of all, that we hear it, and second of all, that we hear it personally by name, that it impacts us on an individual level. Not that we're just part of a flock. Indeed, you can imagine the sheep, if they were all together and 90% of them went, maybe the rest would go along with it. And yet here Jesus makes this interesting specificity that he calls them by name. And so it is for God's people that he calls us, yes, as a people, but also by name. We're told that the shepherd then leads us. And wherever he leads us, the sheep follow. Wherever he goes, we go. This is what it means to follow after the good shepherd. The sheep of of God's people, they hear his voice and they respond to it. He knows their name and he calls them by it. And wherever he goes, they follow They've submitted to his provision for them. He's going to bring them to the pasture to feed. He's going to protect them from the wolves. He is the one who will care for his sheep. These are the things we can begin to understand as we think about ourselves as God's sheep. We ought to be listening for his voice. We ought to be responding when we hear it. We ought to, to know that it's not just a generic call, but one that's personal for us. One that matters about you as an individual and us together. We're also told that these thieves and robbers, these strangers, well, they might call after us. There might be other competing uh, voices Other people with whistles trying to get our attention. But the sheep, they know the shepherd's voice. They don't know the voice of strangers. When I think about this, it reminds me of uh, the various ways in which people like to try to defend the Christian faith. You know, we we got to learn everything about... Islam. we got to learn everything about Hinduism. we got to learn everything about the current debates about atheism and, and science and all. We have to know everything so that we can have a defense. Indeed, it's good for us to be informed people. It's good for us to have a defense, to be able to explain and engage with people who disagree with us, that we might make a case for why the truths of Christianity are indeed true and necessary. But more fundamental than that is we must know the voice of our shepherd so that when we hear other ideas, other voices, we are able to discern which ones are true. The sheep of God's people are able to discern between voices. They know the voice of the shepherd and they follow after him. And when false voices call out to them, They are not deceived. Jesus uses this figure of speech and the disciples don't understand it. So Jesus begins to set us up for the next scene here. Uh, Similar imagery. Uh, Jesus is trying to make his point clear for those who are listening. And it brings us to our second point as Jesus goes on. And that is this. How do the sheep enter? We're talking about sheep who are people who are entering the kingdom of God where are we going how do we enter Jesus goes on to say that he is the door he says truly truly verse 7 i say to you i am the door of the sheep all who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them i am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go go in and out and find pasture The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Remember our imagery of sheep being in a pen with just a door? Well, Jesus has changed it a little bit here. There's no longer a gatekeeper. Instead, he's the gate. He's the door. He's the only opening for the sheep to come in and out. It would have been common practice if you were a shepherd and you were going to go to sleep to to hole up your sheep into a place like that and then to sleep on the ground in front of the door to prevent the sheep from coming out and to prevent thieves from coming in. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the only way to enter into the fold of God's sheep. He says, if anyone enters by me, right? Not over the walls, not into some other pen, but enters through the door, through the one who is able to grant access in and out. If anybody enters by me, this is what will happen. He will be saved and he will be able to go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is making it very clear here that he is the only avenue, the only way to enter into God's salvation. Jesus is the door. He is the gatekeeper. He is the one through whom we must enter. And when we enter through him, we are able to go in and out and find pasture. Think of the idea of pasture. It is this imagery of rest, this imagery of being provided for. When we enter through Jesus, he brings us to the place where we can find everything we need. The idea of salvation, of course, is reconciliation with God, as we talked about in our confession of faith and our, our confession of sin and our assurance of pardon that we've been reconciled to God through Christ that our sins were placed upon him, and we have received his righteousness, and we have rest. We are free to go in and out and to find pasture, to bask in the glory of God, to be in his presence, to enter into the promised land. The great great contrast is these false shepherds who steal, kill, and destroy. The ones who are plotting how to kill Jesus the ones who are throwing out the people through whom God is working. These are the false teachers that Jesus is contrasting himself with, the false shepherds. When we enter through Jesus, Jesus says, I came, he's the door, so that we may have life. And not just that we might be saved so that we can continue on in our life, but that we might have this abundant life. Life that's far greater than we could have ever imagined. Think about that blind man who was healed. Indeed, Jesus could have shown him mercy by giving him food, or by giving him some money, by taking him in. But he doesn't just give him sustenance for the day he radically changes this man's life giving him sight a man born blind now able to see now able to work now no longer needing to be a beggar is free to go free to find free to live a life that he could have never imagined we must enter as god's sheep through the door It is the only way for us to find life. It's the only way for us to find salvation. It is the only way for us to enter into God's rest. Jesus goes on in verse 11, and it brings us to our third question, and that is this. How is it possible? I mean, Jesus can make all of these promises. He can say all of these things. But how is it possible? How how is this going to happen? Verse 11 tells us that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What's interesting here is, if you can think about the time in which Jesus is speaking, the history of the people of Israel is one of shepherds. And one of the main reasons why they were shepherds, why they must keep sheep, the, the role of a shepherd was to provide lambs to be brought into the temple. That they might be sacrificed as part of worship to cover the sins of the people. And yet, here he's saying that he is the good shepherd and he is the one who's going to lay down his life. The shepherd becoming the sheep. But he contrasts this idea of this good shepherd with a hired man. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for my sheep. I love my sheep so much, I will lay down my life for them to protect them, unlike a hired man who's not a shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolves coming, and he leaves, and he flees, and the wolf comes, and he snatches them, and he scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I don't know the type of people you've worked with in your jobs. But you know, when you're a, just an employee, punching a clock, you don't care a whole lot about the intimate details, the efficiencies, the, the values of the company. You're just there to do your job. And if it gets too hard, well, you're not going to press on. You don't have anything on the line. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not just some hired person taking care of some sheep over there. He's not doing it for his own benefit and gain. In contrast to this hired man, Jesus is the one who cares for the sheep. When the wolf comes, he doesn't flee. He loves the sheep and he lays down his life for them to be protected. Verse 14... He's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. And they know him. There's this right, relationship here where Jesus calls out to particular people. He knows our names. He cares for us individually. In fact, he says it's just as intimate as the Father and I. He cares for us in a way that he's willing to give his own life to protect us so that we might be able to enter through the door, that we might be able to enter into salvation, might be able to go to the pasture and find God's rest. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16 is beginning to show us the expansion of the kingdom of God and the the ministry in which Jesus is bringing He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. At the time when Jesus is speaking, and the place he's speaking is primarily to Israelites, those who are descendant from Abraham, the people who have been identified as the sheep of God throughout history, and yet Jesus is now beginning to to reveal a little bit that his ministry will go far beyond the borders of the nation of Israel. He has sheep from all over, from every nation. People that are not from this fold, they are not descendants of Abraham by the flesh. And he's going to call out to them, and they're just like you because they they hear my voice and they listen. And he's going to bring them in and, and they will together make one flock This is the reality of the new covenant, that Jesus dies not only for the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and all of the the history of the people of Israel, but the great mystery is that the Gentiles are being included as well, and we all have one shepherd. This is the good news for you and I. Uh, We live much later on in history much farther away from the people of Israel than we could ever imagine. And yet the new covenant reality is that Christ lays down his life for us too. That we might be brought in to his flock. That we, alongside those who have come before us, would follow the same shepherd. Verse 17 tells us about the motivation behind Jesus doing this. Jesus doesn't go and die. He doesn't go and lay down his life because he must. He doesn't go because the Father forces him to. He lays down his life by his own choice. He has the authority to to die or to not die. He comes freely choosing to lay his life down for us, not out of compulsion, not out of some subordinate reality, but because he knows us and because he loves us and because this is the only way. Of course, Jesus also says he has the authority to take up his life again. He's been given this authority by the Father. The Father has said, you are in control. And Jesus willingly lays down his life. I mentioned earlier this imagery of resurrection. And we see it here, the authority to take up his life again. Jesus gives us life through his death But this abundant life that he promises is ultimately realized in the resurrection. That as Jesus dies, pays for our sins, but is raised from the dead, so we participate in that resurrection life. That we too have the hope and promise of a resurrection. That we won't just have pastures in this life. That we won't just have abundant life now, but that we will enter into eternal rest, eternal Communion with God in his presence. This is the promise. This is the way in which Jesus will accomplish what it means to be the good shepherd. This is the means through which we can have confidence that what he said was true. Because he did these things. Verse 19, this causes division among the people those who thought they could see, those who think they know what they're talking about are further blinded. They don't hear his voice. It's falling on deaf ears. They don't follow after the shepherd as he speaks. Instead, they say, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? But those, perhaps his sheep listening in, being drawn near to this man, as they are trying to understand who Jesus truly is, what these words really mean, they're beginning to respond to his voice. They would kind of rebuke these people and say, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Their ears are being opened. Their eyes are being opened. They're beginning to see and hear Jesus, as we think about Jesus as our good shepherd, in these times where we are bombarded with so many voices, news updates, artificial voices through our entertainment, all of the things that vie for our attention, all of the things that promise us life. May we remember the voice of our Savior. May we be attentive to his voice as he calls out to us personally by name. May we follow after him, going out to find rest and, pa- and pasture, finding salvation, being reminded that it is only possible because he is the one who has laid down his life. May we not be distracted by false voices who want to turn us away. Instead, let us trust in the Savior who will do anything to protect us because he loves us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Christ is our great shepherd, that he leads us, that he protects us, that he provides for us, and that he cares for us so deeply that he would die a death that we deserve. Help us to see our shepherd. Help us to follow him. Help his voice to ring true in our ears. Give us the hope of the resurrection as we look to the lamb who was slain to take away our sin but then was raised again that we might have life life abundant. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.